good to be with you this morning on this day of focusing on giving thanks. And I'm going to kind of be combining two sermons today. So um, we'll take a lunch break. We'll come back. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't let you go. You wouldn't come back. You know that's not true. We've been in Proverbs this month. And, and it's kind of the working definition of Proverbs that we've been going with is that Proverbs are God's invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations as we wrestle with the truths they contain. And we have been wrestling with some powerful truths this past month and no less today. Wisdom, when you read Proverbs, becomes very clear that wisdom includes the how, the when, the what, and the why of what we say. We've talked about what powerful words can do both the positive and the negative. We've talked about specific kinds of words that can build up and bless other people that we need to incorporate into our vocabulary. And today we're going to finish up by looking at gossip and grumbling and how these two uses of our words are toxic to our souls, to our relationships. And the cure to gossip and grumbling is simple. It's gratitude. But let's first look at what Proverbs has to say about gossip. Proverbs 11.13 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. So what is gossip? This word gossip that's used here. Well, the Hebrew word for gossip that this proverb uses has a root word that means to go or to walk about. Now, how might a word that means to go or to walk about come to mean gossip. And that's interesting. Well, just picture a busybody going about town, right? Walking around from person to person, whispering things, spreading rumors. We even talk about a rumor making the rounds, don't we? Or we might even say, have you heard what's going around about so-and-so? Similar idea. I read a story about a Christian businessman who ran a company that manufactured large earth-moving equipment. And he was sharing with a customer one day that they used to make a scraper that was known as the Model G. And the guy said, the Model G? Why was it called the Model G? He said, I'll tell you, the G stands for gossip. Because like a tailbearer, this machine moved a lot of dirt and moved it fast. (laughs) And that's what gossip is, isn't it? It's moving a lot of dirt on people, and it's moving it fast. James uses a different analogy, not a dirt mover, but a fire. To talk about the destructive speed of our words, he said, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I have to think that James must have had gossip on his mind when he wrote these words. Charles Spurgeon used another analogy, the analogy of poison, when he said, tail-bearing emits a threefold poison, for it injures the teller, the hearer, and the person concerning whom the tale is told. Like James, Spurgeon reminds us that gossip does damage to everyone involved. The one spreading it, the one hearing it, and the one that it's about. And we're going to talk more about the destructive nature of gossip in a moment. But first, I want to share with you Timothy Keller's definition of gossip. He defines it as negative information that may or may not be true, 
designed to make the speaker and the hearer feel superior to the object of the gossip. I'd say that gossip is any verbal attack on another person's character and reputation. And the content may be truthful. I mean, you may be reporting some real immorality or dishonesty or failures or, or bad attitudes in someone else. The gossip mentioned in Proverbs 11:13 is not only truthful, it says that it's something that was shared in confidence with the gossiper. So it's somebody who said something to someone in trust and that person spread it around. It's gossip. Now slander, you might argue, is even worse than gossip because slander specifically is something that makes up harmful information about another person as opposed to simple gossip which spreads true but unseemly Information. So as I talk about gossip and slander, I'm really kind of incorporating both of those together. Because they have the same, they come from the same heart, they have the same objective. James 4.11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Now the Greek word used here, slanderer, is the same word that's translated on the next line, speaks against. This version of the word simply means you're speaking against someone. Not necessarily something made up. It could be made up or it could be true. So I think when we think about gossip and slander this morning, the point we need to take from this is that whether we're gossiping with the truth or slandering with a lie, if we're reporting something against a brother or sister, we shouldn't do it. Just don't. It undermines the listener's respect and love for the person being talked about. Don't do it. As Christians, we should keep in mind our own sinful nature. If we just did that, if we just had that little bit of humility and honesty, it would keep us from saying a lot of hurtful or embarrassing things, wouldn't it? Proverbs twenty-five twenty-three says, Like a north wind that brings unexpected rain is a sly tongue which provokes a horrified look. Gossip and slander can be subtle. It can be hard to, to identify when, when you see it because it comes in so many disguises. It might come in the disguise of a, a heads up about something you really need to know. Or is false compassion for poor so-and-so, isn't it just awful what has happened to them? Or I think even the worst one for Christians is when we disguise our gossip as prayer requests, right? We have to be careful. Yes, we need to share prayer requests. Yes, we should lift each other up in prayer. Yes, we should be specific in our prayers. But we have to be careful that when we share prayer requests, we don't divulge information best kept to ourselves, especially if it could damage someone's reputation, divide a friendship, or unnecessarily hurt someone's feelings. You know, some details are just best left up to God. You know, He he knows the details. And sometimes there's a lot of wisdom and what we do or don't share when we are sharing a prayer request. So how can you determine whether something you have heard or something maybe you think about sharing, how can you determine whether this is gossip or not? There's three questions I encourage you to ask Ask yourself. First, is this something I should be talking to the person in question about directly? Instead of talking about this person, maybe you should talk to this person. Second question, would the person mind my sharing this information with others? If you have a question about that, you know what you could always do? Ask them. 
And the third question, is this the kind of thing I would want someone sharing about me? I think that one's really the one that gets us. You could just put yourself in that person's shoes and say, is this something I would want someone saying about me? If not, then you probably shouldn't be saying it, right? Running a bit of news or a prayer request through these filters, again, it can save a lot of embarrassment. It can save a lot of hurt feelings. But you know what? Sometimes people don't want to save that. People don't want to question that because sometimes people want to share gossip. Why is that? Why is gossip so attractive? Why do we sometimes find it so hard to resist? Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. There's something inherent in our sinful nature that just enjoys pointing out other people's faults. It makes us feel better because it allows us to justify ourselves. At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I've never done that. At least my life isn't going as badly as theirs. We build ourselves up by tearing other people down. We try to cover our sins. Not by the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ, but by highlighting the faults and the problems of other people. Gossip is a far more serious sin than we give it credit for. We think of it as sort of like a second-tier sin, maybe. Kind of like a white lie. It's bad, but it's not that bad. But in Romans 1.29, Paul lists it along with sins like homosexuality, idolatry, envy, murder. Gossip's right in there with them. God doesn't think it's any small matter, and neither should we. Because the effects of gossip are so destructive. Gossip harms relationships. Proverbs 16.28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict. A gossip separates friends. And Proverbs 20.19 says, A gossip betrays confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. So whenever someone shares the kind of infinite, uh, kind of intimate information that close friends know about each other and tell each other, when somebody shares that, it separates that friendship. It, it's, a div, it's a division. And you may not even mean to spill the beans. But if you're someone who loves to talk or tweet or Facebook post or text or whatever, then if you're not careful, you're vulnerable of becoming an inadvertent gossip. When we're careless with our words, we're more apt to let something sensitive slip out, right? That's just common sense. And the accidental betrayal of somebody's confidence is no less gossip than when it's intentional. But gossip can also happen because our minds have become perverse. Gossip for some people has become a habit. They just can't resist that feeling of power that comes from being able to dispense that little juicy tidbit of information. They love being able to just sort of command everybody's attention with what they know. But gossip harms relationships. Secondly, gossip keeps quarrels going. Proverbs 26.20 Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. I mean, think about it. If you have two people that are odds with each other, they can talk to each other. They can kind of work things out. But if you put somebody in the midst of that that's a gossip that's kind of getting people worked up and stoking that fire and spreading more stuff around. You get more people drawn into the fight. People take sides. And those two individuals are far less likely to make amends. Like wood does for a fire, a gossip keeps a quarrel going. 
Gossip can become a cancer in a community, especially in a church. And you know what? That's exactly what Satan wants. It's exactly what he wants. Aesop tells a, 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 a sort of a parable about uh, four bulls, which were great friends. They went everywhere together. They, they ate together. They laid down to rest together. They always kept close to each other so that if, if any danger was near, they could face it together. They were stronger together than they were apart. Well, there was a lion which determined to have them for lunch. But he could never get at them one at a time. They were always together. He, could, he, he was a match for any one of them on their own, but he just could not take all four of these bulls at once. So he started to watch for his opportunity, and when one, one lagged the least bit behind the others as they were out grazing one day, he slinked up and whispered that the other bulls had been saying unkind things about him. And he did this to each of those four friends until they became uneasy with each other. And each thought the other three were plotting against him. And finally, as there was no trust among them, they went off by themselves, their friendship broken. And this is what the lion wanted. And one by one, he had himself a good meal. Peter tells us that Satan prowls about like a hungry lion, seeking whom he may devour. And Satan is definitely after our families and our churches as well. Gossip is the devil's favorite tool for destroying the power of a united church. Rumors can tear a church apart and leave it powerless faster than a wildfire. And so that means that when we gossip, especially if we're gossiping about fellow Christians, we are actually doing Satan's work. We're helping him out. We're doing what he wants us to do. Jesus had some things to say about this as well. His, his teachings mirror Proverbs on this uh, very well. In Matthew 18, 15, Jesus said, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. Listen to what Proverbs 25, 9-10 says. If you argue your case with a neighbor, do not betray another man's confidence. Or he who hears it may shame you, and you will never lose your bad reputation. Now this passage suggests that we should keep all secrets, not just disputes. We should keep all confidences. But the principle is the same. Keep private. What is private? Don't air out yours or anyone else's dirty laundry on Facebook. Don't do it. Where Solomon says here, discuss your dispute with your neighbor. Not about your neighbor with another neighbor, but with your neighbor. But oh, how we like to rush to discuss our disputes with everyone except the person who offended us, right? Isn't that what we do? And this happens all too often among God's people. And, and in part it happens because we're cowards. It takes courage to confront someone you've got an issue with. Or if you hear something that disturbs you and bothers you, it takes courage to go to that person and to talk about them. But to discuss our disputes with other people is so easy. First of all, other people love to hear this kind of gossip. I heard a saying that somebody said, if you don't have anything bad, to, if you don't have anything good to say about anyone else, I'm all ears. Get it? Not keep your mouth shut. It's I'm all ears. We love to hear all this juicy news. And that's why you go to the checkout stands and you see all these celebrity tabloids. We even love to gossip about the celebrities. 
and hear, oh, did you hear about what happened to so-and-so and so-and-so? I knew their marriage wouldn't last. Terrible. Other people's suffering and broken relationships are our entertainment. Second, they're prone to sympathize with us. When we talk to other people about our problem with this other person, then those other people sympathize with us. It makes us feel good. Helps us feel self-righteous. Because you know what? They don't get to hear the other side of the story. It's easier to get an agreement from a friendly, ignorant jury of our friends than from a hostile, in-the-know party that we're disputing with. And that's why we are so bad about talking about people instead of to people. So what should we do? How should we respond to gossip? Well, first of all, this is pretty simple. Don't repeat it. Don't repeat it. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever would foster love covers over an offense. But whoever repeats the matter, whoever talks about it and gossips about it, separates close friends. If you don't want to separate close friends, if you instead want to foster love among other people, then the loving thing to do is to cover over an offense. When you hear gossip, or when you learn about something that could be gossipy, don't repeat it. Cover it over. Leave it alone. Secondly, so don't repeat it. Say that with me. Don't repeat it. Here's the second one. Avoid gossips. Avoid gossips. Proverbs 20:19 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. There's an ancient Roman proverb that says, You are Lord over your tongue, but I am also master of my ears. In other words, I do have some control over what I allow myself to listen to. We need to avoid those people who love to just add the fuel to the rumor fire. Those people who love to talk and betray confidences. If someone tries to share gossip with you, just kindly, gently rebuke them. Say, you know what, I would rather not hear any gossip. And I would appreciate it if you wouldn't spread any either. But again, you know what? That takes courage. That takes courage, doesn't it? And we'd rather be like a turtle and just slink back in our shell and pretend like everything's fine. 1 Peter 3.10 says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Don't repeat gossip. Don't hang around with people who do. That would put a stop to a lot, wouldn't it? But there's another form of destructive speech I want us to consider this morning. Gossip is bad. The Bible has nothing good to say about it. But there's another thing that's bad too, and that's grumbling. And I know nobody in here is ever guilty of grumbling, right? Maybe your tummies. That, that, that's it. There are, in fact, there are a lot of words for grumbling in the Old Testament. And, and I think my favorite one is the old King James term, belly aching. You know, belly aching. That was the Israelites' favorite pastime when they were traveling to the promised land and wandering the wilderness. They were always belly aching. You know, they didn't like the food. Man, we had pots of meat back in Egypt. So they belly ached. They didn't like these long walks in the desert. Man, we used to be able to make mud bricks. At least we were in one place in Egypt. They didn't like Moses' leadership you know what, let's just kill this guy and get another leader and go back to Egypt. Grumble, 
grumble, grumble. They were a bunch of grumbles. And it didn't matter to them that God had miraculously delivered them from Egyptian slavery through the ten plagues and the pillar of fire by night and cloud by day and the parting of the Red Sea. It didn't matter that God had provided for them manna and quail and water from a rock. They weren't satisfied no matter what God did. So we need to learn from their bad example. First of all, we don't need to grumble against God. You may think, oh, grumbling against God, that's, that's awful. But don't we do it? Don't we do that all the time? Listen to Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. This is a great prayer from Agur. Agur writes this. He says, two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The author here asks for neither poverty nor wealth. Now, it's kind of shocking as we understand not wanting poverty, but not wanting wealth. I mean, that's sort of to our 21st century American sensibilities, that's kind of shocking. Instead, he asks for his needs to be met. Not given so much that his wealth would lead him astray from God. He had an attitude of contentment that we could all learn from. In, in fact, if we would look at the pattern of God's provision in our lives, we would see that he has provided for our greatest needs and, and sometimes even provides for our heart's desires. But there's just this base human drive in us to want more, isn't there? We just want more. And that's why we grumble and complain. We just, we're never satisfied with what we have. Adam and Eve couldn't be satisfied with immortality in the Garden of Eden. They wanted to have it all. And the serpent held out for them the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil as that one thing they didn't have. They coveted it. They envied God because He had something they didn't have. A Puritan preacher once wrote, Satan has most advantage of discontented persons as most agreeable to his disposition, being the most discontented creature under heaven. He hammers all his dark plots into their brains. Satan's fall was one of discontent and envy. He coveted the glory of God for himself And Satan loves to lure God's people into that same trap, convincing them that they don't have enough, that God is holding out on them. Always wanting more and more, never being happy. Grumble, grumble, grumble. A great lesson from this proverbial prayer is that our relationship with God is greater than riches. And if this were our attitude... We would really have, I think, a peace and a contentment in life that truly passes all understanding. To know Him, to wait on Him, is a treasure far greater than any earthly riches or comforts or praises. Let's not grumble against God. And secondly, let's not grumble against each other. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's innermost part. And I know you're saying, well, David, we're talking about gossip. That's the wrong verse. We're talking about grumbling. But the root of this Hebrew word here that's used for gossip is a rare word. It's not used very much in the Old Testament. It's only used four times in the whole book of Proverbs. 
And it's the same word that's used in Deuteronomy 127 that says, you grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy. When Isaiah was prophesying the future change of heart that would come to all God's people, he wrote, those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding. Those who complain will accept instruction. That's the same word that Hebrews eleven eighteen translates gossip. Gossiping and grumbling came, come from the same dark place in the human heart. They're both like tasty morsels that entice and excite our sinful appetite. Why? Because as sinners, we are basically selfish, self-centered people. We want to feel better about ourselves. We tend to consider ourselves more important than others. I mean, we don't say that, but that's the way we act. But gossip and grumbling are not only wrong, they're not only evidences of proud and unloving hearts, they're unwise. Solomon warns us that both can backfire on us. If you gossip and he hears of it, he will disgrace you and your bad reputation will stick. That's what Proverbs 25.10 said. And so if we do this often enough, if we gossip often enough, if we just grumble and complain often enough, then we're going to have a reputation as gossips and grumblers. People won't trust us. Do you like being around somebody who grumbles all the time? Yeah, sometimes we're those people, aren't we? So what's the solution? How do we overcome the tendency to gossip about others and to grumble and complain about God and about life and about other people and about church and whatever? How do we overcome that? Gratitude. Gratitude. The countercultural prayer that we read in Proverbs 37 through 9 is the opposite of grumbling. The author refuses to harbor envy and covetousness in his heart. Now, this flies in the face of modern commercialism, which is built on fostering feelings of envy and discontentment. I mean, that's what advertisements are there for, right? They're designed to create covetousness in us, to make us want something we don't have, to make us believe that, oh, if I only bought this, my life would be better. I'd be healthier, I'd be happier, I'd be wiser. I believe it's more than random irony that the day after we give thanks as a nation, we trample each other to death in a race to get more stuff at bottom dollar. I mean, seriously. When I grew up, Thanksgiving was such a simple holiday. But now, everybody's on Thanksgiving Day looking at the sales flyers and they're on their phones trying to see what's the Amazon deal of the day tomorrow. I've got to get it. But an attitude of gratitude understands two things. First, that God is our sole provider. And second, we must be content with our needs and those desires of our heart that God does give us. I mean, if we pray for our daily bread, then we need to accept with gratitude the daily bread that God gives us. Gratitude. Be grateful for each other. It's hard to gossip about somebody that you're grateful for. Be grateful for God and His blessings. It's hard to grumble when your heart is full of gratitude. I invite you to come tonight to the Methodist Church. I never say that, do I? I invite you to come. <laughs> I love my Methodist Church friends. They're, some of them are probably listening to me right now at Arby's, so shout out to them. But uh, I want to invite you to come tonight to the Methodist Church 
for the community Thanksgiving service at 6 o'clock. I'm going to preach more about gratitude. So, two final thoughts I want to give you before we, we, we wrap up here. The greatest provision that God gives us is salvation through the cross of Christ. Amen? For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son that whoever doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, what you've done. If whoever believes in Him, they will not perish, but will have eternal life. That is the greatest gift, the greatest provision of God. As I said a few Sundays ago, our problem ultimately, and that really is what Proverbs is talking about, our problem is not with our mouth. Our problem is with our heart. A mouth that grumbles comes from a heart that grumbles. A mouth that gossips come from, comes from a heart that gossips. A mouth that has to tear other people down to make themselves feel better comes from a heart that's broken. And maybe this morning you've got a problem with grumbling and complaining, belly aching. Maybe this morning you have a problem with gossip. You know you do. Be honest with yourself. But maybe this morning as we have this invitation, you need to come to this altar or, or maybe even just right where you are. And do some heart work with God. Let God work on your heart. And turn that gossip and grumbling into gratitude. This morning you may be here and you may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, it's, it's not just about going to church. It's not just about having Christian parents. It's not just about knowing the Bible or being a good person. It's about turning from sin and trusting in Christ. It's about acknowledging that heart that's broken that tends to grumble and gossip and saying, God, I know that's not the way you made me to be. Would you forgive me? And through Christ, would your spirit come into me and make me a better person? Give me that grateful heart. If you've never prayed and given your life to Jesus Christ, I invite you in just a moment to come do it now. And you can pass through these waters as Cam did and demonstrate to others that you've died to the old you, to your sin and your grumbling and your complaining and your gossiping. And you've been raised to walk in the newness of life in Christ. Whatever God has said to your heart this morning, I pray you'd come and be obedient to it today. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we are grateful. Not just because it's a week in which we're supposed to be thankful. We're grateful because we have passed over from death to life if we're Christians. It's because we have gone from being your enemies to being your sons and your daughters. May our hearts grow in gratitude as followers of Christ. May we as First Baptist Church be a people that others look at and say, that's a grateful people. They don't spread gossip and rumors about other people. They only say things that are kind, that build others up and are helpful to the hearer. That church, that church is not a church that grumbles and complains. That that church loves each other and they love God and they love this community. They're a thankful church. May that be true of each one of us. And Father, if there's anyone here today that has never put their faith and trust in Christ, I pray they would come right now. Or maybe they've never made that decision public and they need to follow you in baptism. I pray that you would stir their hearts to come now. We ask it all in Jesus' name. 